Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, and life is worth the living just because he lives. Many of you will recognize this familiar refrain from the hymn, Because He Lives, written by Bill and Gloria Gaither. While singing this hymn at a funeral the other day, I thought about those words, I can face tomorrow because he lives, and all fear is gone because he lives. And I wondered how many of you listening this morning can sing or say those words with the same confidence that the Gaithers had when they wrote them. I hope many of you are facing tomorrow believing that God is in control and believing that He indeed does hold the future, and that is why life is worth the living just because He lives. There is so much sadness and sorrow and unrest and violence and evil in this world that we better not place our hope and confidence in anything this world has, our friends or our families or our government, because if our hope is in anyone or anything except God and His Son, Jesus Christ, we will be disappointed in the end. If you are listening today and you are afraid of what the future might hold, or you are afraid of where you are going when you die, or you are afraid because you don't know where you are going when you die, or you don't think life is worth living, I want you to repeat the words, because he lives. And who is the he referred to in this hymn? Well, listen to these words. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives, but greater still the calm assurance this child can face uncertain days because he lives. And then one day I'll cross the river. I'll fight life's final war with pain. And then as death gives way to victory, I'll see the lights of glory and I'll know he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, and life is worth the living just because he lives. If you do not have the peace in your life that only comes when you put your faith in Jesus to save you from your sins and provide a way for you to get to heaven— then my hope for you today is that you will find that peace. Thinking about, peace, thinking about his peace that I hope you have or that you will be seeking made me think about a quote I heard several years ago attributed to St. Augustine. So I looked it up on the Internet, and the quote was right there in, in his writing entitled Confessions. It was a whole page and I wish I could read the whole thing to you, but you might not understand it at all, and I'm really not sure I do either. A lot of it was pretty profound, but I did understand this part. Great are you, O Lord, and exceedingly worthy of praise. Your power is immense, and your wisdom beyond reckoning. And so we men, who are a due part of your creation, long to praise you. We also carry our mortality about with us. 
carry the evidence of our sin and with it the proof that you thwart the proud. You arouse us so that praising you may bring us joy because you have made us and drawn us to yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. It is that last part, our heart is restless until it rests in you, that I was thinking about because if your heart is restless, to me that means it is without peace. In the first part of Ephesians 2.14, Paul says, For Christ himself is our way of peace. I want to share with you a time in my life that my heart was restless due to the peace I was lacking because I was constantly breaking the first of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. We moved to Smithfield in the summer of 1972, shortly after my husband Kay finished pharmacy school. I had played bridge since high school, but when I moved back home to Smithfield, I began to play duplicate bridge, which for those of you who may not know is competitive bridge. I played duplicate bridge every Monday night without fail, and unless I was sick of sick or it was Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, it would have taken almost an act of Congress for me not to play. I was obsessed with it for nearly 12 years. It is a wonder Kay did not leave me because I can remember saying to him one time, I am going to play bridge on Monday nights, whether you like it or not, or something to that effect. I would go to bridge tournaments as far away as South Carolina and Washington, D.C., and the tournaments were always over a weekend, which meant I was missing Sunday school and church, which would rarely, if ever, happen if I were in town. Well, after a while, my conscience began to bother me about my bridge playing. I was now playing two nights a week and reading books about bridge in my spare time. But then one year in church, I took a class called Master Life, which certainly got me really thinking about how followers of Christ should be living, and I began to feel guilty about my bridge playing. So I told God I would stop playing bridge on Sundays, and I did. But my conscience still was bothering me, and I was lacking that peace I wanted in my heart and soul. So I got down on my knees and told God that if he wanted me to stop playing duplicate bridge completely, he would have to send me a clear sign. But I thought to myself that if he wants his followers like me to be happy, surely he didn't want me to stop playing duplicate bridge, because that would certainly not make me happy. The very next day, I was in my car and I had my radio tuned to a Christian radio station. When the speaker announced the verse of the week, it was Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So I said to God, Well, I did hear what you said in that verse, but there are thousands of people listening to this station. How can I be sure that you meant this verse for me? Well, oh boy, did he let me know. Later that same day, I went out to a local furniture store to look for something. When I didn't see what I had been looking for, the salesman gave me his card and told me to call him any time he might help me. I went out to my car. It had begun to rain, and as I turned on the car and then the windshield wipers, I looked at the business card the salesman had handed me. His name was on one side, and when I turned the card over, guess what? There it was. God's answer about my bridge playing. 
and he spoke as clearly as if he had been sitting right there beside me. What was on the other side of the card? Yes, you guessed it. Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. God's message to me could not have been any clearer. So those of you who have known me since I have been in Smithfield now know why I gave up Duplicate Bridge. Was it easy? Well, knowing the God of the universe had spoken directly to me certainly helped. But I did have to get back on my knees and tell God that even though I knew his command was to seek his kingdom first, and obviously for me to give up the God of Duplicate Bridge, I would need his help to take away my desire to play bridge, and I can tell you today that he really did. I think God knew I was earnestly seeking him and wanting to be obedient to him, but I just wanted to be sure that giving up Duplicate Bridge was the obedience he was seeking from me. And he let me know in no uncertain way that indeed it was what he wanted from a follower of his. So I have related to you this true story from my life in the hopes that if you don't have peace in your life, go to God and ask him what he wants you to do. After I wrote this part of my program for Saturday, I stopped working on it and went to the grocery store to get one item. You will never guess who God had sent to the grocery store at the same time. Now, it has been over 30 years since I stopped playing Duplicate Bridge, and in all those years, I have seen that furniture salesman only two or three times. I had not seen him at all in the last 15 to 20 years, and his hair is now white. I wasn't even sure if it was him. So I introduced myself and asked him if he was the furniture salesman who had helped me years before. He said he was. He was leaving the store as I was going in, and I told him I was going to use his name in my radio program today, which I had already drafted, and that he might want to tune in and listen to the program on Saturday morning. After I had made my purchase and was leaving the store, he had turned around and was coming back in the store to find me. His purpose was to ask me not to use his name, which, as you know, I did not. He said he did not want his name to be used because he wanted what I said to be all about God and not about him. He said any glory should go to God. Now you may think this was a coincidence that I ran into this man, but I believe it was a God-ordained encounter. And God did not want this man's name to be used today, and he put the man at the grocery store that day to tell me so. I have heard in Bible study that God is a jealous God, and he does not want to share his glory with anyone. When I woke up today, the first thought that popped into my mind was faith is the victory. Now, many of you will recognize this as the title of a familiar hymn with words written by John Yates and music written by Ira Sankey, whose name I'm sure you recognize as Dwight L. Moody's song leader. So I will go over those words in a few minutes. But right now, if you have a piece of paper and pen handy, I want you to draw a big triangle with a point at the top and the two sides coming down to a base that goes across three equal sides. If you aren't in a position to draw a triangle, I want you to visualize one in your mind. Now across the bottom part of that triangle, I want you to put maybe 10 or 12 lines coming off of it and record on those lines the 10 or 12 things that are the most important things in your life. 
Now, many of us will have some of the same things written down. Children, grandchildren, spouse, friends, faith, job. But then we will differ with other things that are important to us, like football, baseball, travel, clothes, reading, Bible study, college teams, food. You may not even have 10 things. It may be fewer, and it could be more, but you get my point. You are listing the things that are most important to you. Now I want you to start going up the sides of your triangle toward the top point of the triangle. And as you go up, you have to eliminate one of the important things in your life. And you keep eliminating everything that is important to you until you get to the very top and there is just one thing left. I heard this illustration over 30 years ago and it has always stuck with me. When you come to the end of your life and there is only one thing that is the most important thing in your life that you can cling to and not lose, it had better be your faith, your relationship with Jesus Christ, because isn't that the only thing that really matters in the end? It won't be Carolina or NC State. It won't be bridge or golf. It won't be your girlfriend or your boyfriend. It won't be your children or your grandchildren, as precious as they might be to you. There is nothing and no one you can cling to or trust in when you are leaving this world that can assure you of a future in heaven with God. Only faith in Jesus Christ will matter then. So let me ask you today, do you have peace in your heart? Do you have the peace that the world does not give and which, therefore, it cannot take away? The peace of God that passes all understanding keeps the hearts and minds of God's people. In the 26th chapter of Isaiah, we read in verse 3, He will keep in perfect peace all those who trust in Him, whose thoughts turn often to the Lord. In verse 12, we read, Lord, grant us peace for all we have and are has come from you. And how about this for bringing peace to you who are believers in Jesus Christ and are near the end of your earthly journey? In the first part of Isaiah, same chapter, chapter 26, verse 19, yet we have this assurance, those who belong to God shall live again, their bodies shall rise again. I want to read you what Charles Spurgeon has written in his devotional book, Morning by Morning, about this verse from Deuteronomy 33, verse 27. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. So now I'm reading from morning by morning. It is at home that we feel safe. We shut the world out and dwell in quiet security. So when we are with our God, we fear no evil. He is our shelter and retreat, our abiding refuge. At home we rest, and it is there we find repose after the fatigue and toil of the day. And so our hearts find rest in God. When wearied with life's conflicts, we turn to Him, and our souls dwell at ease. At home, also, we let our hearts loose. We are not afraid of being misunderstood, nor of our words being misconstrued. So, when we are with God, we can commune freely with Him, laying open all our hidden desires. For if the secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him, 
the secrets of them that fear him ought to be and must be with their Lord. Home, too, is the place of our truest and purest happiness. It is in God that our hearts find their deepest delight. We have joy in him that far surpasses all other joy. It is also for home that we work and labor. The thought of it gives strength to bear the daily burdens and quickens the fingers to perform the task. In this sense, we may also say that God is our home. Love for him strengthens us. We think of him in the person of his dear son, and a glimpse of the suffering face of the Redeemer constrains us to labor in his cause. We feel that we must work, for we have friends and loved ones yet to be saved, and we have our Father's heart to make glad by bringing home his wandering ones. God, the eternal God, is himself our support at all times, especially when we are sinking in deep trouble. Well, child of God, remember that when you are at your worst and lowest point, underneath you are the everlasting arms. Sin may drag you low, but Christ's great atonement is still under all. You may have descended into deep distress, but you cannot have fallen so low as the uttermost, and to the uttermost he saves. Again, the Christian sometimes sinks very deeply in sore trials from without, Every earthly prop is cut away. What then? Still underneath him are the everlasting arms. He cannot fall so deep in distress and affliction without the covenant grace of an ever-faithful God still encircling him. The Christian may be sinking under trouble from within through fierce conflict, but even then he cannot be brought so low as to be beyond the reach of the everlasting arms. They are underneath him, and while thus sustained, all Satan's efforts to harm him avail nothing. This assurance of support is a comfort to any weary but earnest worker in the service of God. It implies a promise of strength for each day, grace for each need, and power for each duty. Further, when death comes, the promise will still hold good. When we stand in the midst of Jordan, we will be able to say with David, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. We will descend into the grave, but we will go no, lower, no lower, for the eternal arms prevent our further fall. All through life, and at its close, we will be upheld by the everlasting arms, arms that neither flag nor lose their strength. For the everlasting God... The Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. In closing, my hope for you today is that when everything in this earth is stripped away, that you will have that peace that passes human understanding because you have your faith in Jesus Christ to sustain you and the promises of God to give you hope that will not disappoint in his everlasting arms to hold you up. And now, as promised, I want to read a little bit from um, Faith is the Victory. His banner over us is love, our sword, the word of God. We tread the road the saints above with shouts of triumph trod. By faith they, like a whirlwind's breath, swept on o'er every field. The faith by which they conquered death is still our shining shield. Faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. 
all-glorious victory that overcomes the world. To him that overcomes the foe, white raiment shall be given. Before the angels he shall know, his name confessed in heaven. Then onward from the hills of light, our hearts with love aflame, will vanquish all the host of night in Jesus' conquering name. Faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. And I close with Romans 10, 13. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you have not, call on him today. Thank you for listening.